Last week, I shared with you what I believe Jesus meant when he said it was finished. And I tried to show you how the enemy had been disarmed. Uh, if you remember, we had Niger in all his riot gear, and Matt was disarmed with his evil attack dog, Archie. And, um, <laughs> and, and tried to get you to see your challenges in the light of what Jesus actually did. I wanted to put a picture in your mind that when you think about the challenges you face, the relative size of them to you in Jesus. Because we often get it completely wrong. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to talk in these next couple or three weeks, or we'll see where we go, about those battles and those fights. And I I couldn't really do that until I shared with you a true perspective on the battle. That's the reality. Um, So let's start. Well, no, let's not start. Because you have to believe the battle's winnable before you start fighting, don't you? Nobody goes into a fight believing they're going to lose. Because to be honest, you've already lost it. Because, well, all the battle actually is in your head. But that's why I wanted to do that last week, was to go, okay, you have to know whatever it is, whatever mountain is in front of you, you have to know, first of all, it is winnable. And the truth is, it is winnable. No matter what it is, in God it's winnable. I have no doubt about it. Whatever battle you are facing, whatever thing is before you, whatever challenge you are looking at, it is winnable in Jesus. But there are certain ways to do it in Jesus that mean you win which is what I want to explore. But you have to know that, because if you're going, well, I can't win this fight, everything I say for these next few weeks is, well, it's not going to be anything, because you don't think you can win it. But I'm telling you, you can win it. And I was hoping that the picture that I showed you would help you see that you can win it. Um, so, let's explore these things. There we go, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So I think you'll picked up by now from me that Genesis is like the way God sets the world up. It's his prequel as to this is the world, and this is how the world works. And in this world that you live, God set up in such a way that he gave you a choice. So he says to Adam, okay, Adam, this is the deal. To live in my world, this is the deal, Adam. You you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you mustn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do that, you'll die. In other words, there's a choice. You can eat anything you want, but if you eat this thing, there's a negative consequence. That's basically how the world gets set up. You can do whatever the heck you want, but certain things will lead to negative consequences for you and those around you. That's the basic premise of how the world is set up. God sets Adam some boundaries, He tells him what will be good for him. He tells him what will not be good for him. But what he does not do is stop him from making a choice. And we could spend the next hour debating why that is, but we're not going to because it's not very helpful and it gets quite complex. But the reality that you understand right now is that God gave you a choice. And of course, one of the key reasons is that he loves you. And I know many of you go, well, if he loved me, he wouldn't let me make a bad choice. Yeah, but then he wouldn't love you. Then he manipulate and control you. And then God continues this idea of choice in Deuteronomy chapter 30. He says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. So life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life so that all the good things can happen. And he doesn't say it, but the the, the implication is, or choose death, all the negative things happen. So there's this series of things where God goes, you have a choice. Choose one way, this happens. 
choose one way, this happens. Now, you all know that if you're a parent because you've taught your children that thing. Choose this, this happens. We get a sweetie. Choose this happens, you sit on the step, whatever it may be. Okay? There's positive consequences of positive choices and negative consequences and negative choices. Agreed? That's how the world works. Okay. Every choice you make leads to one of those two outcomes. It either leads to life or it leads to death. It either takes you closer to Jesus or it takes you further away from Jesus. It either takes you closer to love or further away from love. But one of the first challenges we have to tackle is the truth of our personal responsibility for our choices. Now, before I say anything else about choice, I want to acknowledge that there are rare moments when we may be subjected to something against our will. Rare moments. So some people, and those moments are extremely traumatic and difficult when you are literally overpowered by somebody else. But those moments are not everyday life. So when I'm talking about choice, I'm talking about everyday life. I'm not talking about those rare moments that some people sadly suffer when literally they were overpowered in one way or another. Okay, so I want to be really clear. I'm not talking about those moments, I'm talking about everyday life. I'm talking about your choice to come here, your choice of what to wear, your choice of what to eat, your choice of who to be with, your choice of whether to go to work or not, whether to call in sick, whether to bother fighting for this person. I'm talking about those choices, okay? I don't want you to think that I'm minimising those rare moments, because I'm not, as I think you know in my heart that I would never do that. The vast majority of life, we always have a choice. It may be a limited choice. It may not be the choice you want to make. There may not be a pleasant choice to make, but there's always a choice. It might be a choice between something bad and something worse, but there's always a choice. We grow up believing the choice is always good or bad. As you grow older, you realise the choice is sometimes between a really negative thing and a slightly negative thing. That's what you realise as you grow up. But there's always a choice. God gave you a will, an ability to choose one way or another. And every day you exercise that will. You exercise that will, one way or another. He gave you the freedom to exercise that will in whichever way you decide. But one of the issues is we often lie to ourselves and to one another and say, I had no choice. Have you ever heard somebody else say, you don't say it, but have you ever heard anybody else say, I didn't have a choice. I had to do this. When we say, I didn't have a choice, what we generally mean is that we were not prepared to take the pain, or perceived pain, of a certain course of action. So when we say, I had no choice, what we mean is, I didn't want to get hurt in that way, so I didn't do it. That's generally what we mean, or the perceived pain of it. Or perhaps our love for a person constrained us to take a particular course of action, whatever love means, but once again there was a choice because you chose to constrain your action based on love. So, let me show you what this means. We often avoid short-term pain with our choices, not realising we create longer-term pain. So, because we are so short-termist in our actions. So, I'm 42 years old. I know that most men, many men, when they get in the mid-50s to 60s, struggle with all sorts of general men health issues. Okay? like cholesterol, blood pressure, diet, all that sort of stuff. I also know that I can make choices now with what I eat 
that can reduce that risk to my life. That's the, that's the reality as far as I understand it. So I can look at this beautiful chocolate bar. And I can decide that I don't want the pain of not eating the chocolate bar and seeing Joshua enjoy it and eat it. But what I do when I do that is I take a short-term hit for more pain further down the line. Or let's say that we have got a two-year-old. And the two-year-old, as two-year-olds do, is kicking and screaming and yelling and they've been on the step five times in the space of an hour and all that sort of stuff. And then at the sixth time, everything in you wants to just give up and go, no, it's okay. Because the pain in that moment feels so great. The problem is, though, if you do that often enough, when that child gets to 13, 14, you'll have some way bigger problems than a kicking and screaming two-year-old. Short-term pain stars up longer-term pain, potentially. You see, lots of our choices, and we go, I don't have a choice, I was too tired. It was too difficult. I just, I just needed that chocolate bar right then. It was so difficult. This is what I'm like. I'm not, I'm not acting here. This is like, I need it right now. <laughs> or whatever it is for you. But the truth is, that moment right there, that little choice, you had a choice. You had a choice. You just chose to give in to whatever it was. And remember, I'm talking about these small moments, okay? You chose to give in to that because you didn't want the pain of that moment, but really you're just potentially storing up pain later on. We do it in our relationships all the time. Oh, God, I can't bother. It's going to be difficult talking to this person about this issue. Okay, well, just let it grow then. Short-term pain. Storing up longer-term pain. That's what we do all the time. And then something blows up and we go, oh my Lord. Okay, yeah, because a series of small choices eventually leads to some much bigger choices. One of the key principles of walking in the victory of Jesus is the acceptance of the fact that you have a choice every moment of every day. No winner says I don't have a choice. No overcomer says I don't have a choice. No victor says I don't have a choice. That's the reality. Every time we say I don't have a choice and we just choose to go with whatever, we are choosing to not overcome. That's the reality of it. But of course, you have the overcomer in you. You've just got to learn how to overcome. That's the reality. You have the authority and the power to make any choices you would like. And again, people, listen, you do. You have the authority and power to make any choices you would like. It's just most of us are too scared to do it. You could, you could leave your job tomorrow. The amount of people who complain about the job and go, well, leave then. Oh, I can't do that. All right, well, quit moaning then. You've got a choice. Either stick there or leave. It's a choice. Oh, but then I'd have to, all oh, right, okay, so it gives you some money, this job. Okay. But my friend, oh, it gives you some friends as well. Okay. So you're choosing the money and the friends over enjoying your job. That's a choice. I realize it sounds harsh, but I'm just, I'm overemphasizing it to make the point. There is always a choice. We're just often not prepared to take the pain of the choice, which has consequences further down the line. Okay, of course, knowing you need to take authority and knowing how to take that authority are two different things. So we need to talk about this thing. There's lots, you all have one by the way. I know sometimes it seems some people do it, but everybody's got one. Okay. 
your beautiful brain. And there's lots, there's lots we don't know about the brain, but there's lots we do know about the brain. Um, and, and what's key is that your brain is a, is a physical organic matter. But then you also have a mind, which is not your brain. And you think of it like this. If you have a computer, inside the computer you have what's called hardware. You have a, a hard drive, you have RAM, you have a, maybe a CD-ROM, you have a graphics card, all this physical hardware. And then you have software. So Windows 10 or iOS or whatever is, is like, that's how this thing runs. Your mind is the software on the hardware of your brain. That's what it is. It's the software. It's how you work. So, so I know that if I, if I press this next button here, that next slide comes up. And if I press this button here, he goes back to that slide. Because there's some software that says, when I press this button, this happens. Well, your brain, your mind, rather, is exactly the same. It has got some instructions written on it. So when something happens, a trigger, there's a response. Your belly goes rumble, rumble, rumble. You go, I'm going to get something to eat. That's a simple trigger response. But it happens in all sorts of ways. When somebody walks past you or you love and ignores you, there's a trigger and there's a response. Now, the beautiful thing is, you can't change your brain, but you can change your mind. That's the most beautiful thing. That's the most beautiful thing. Very often, what's vitally important is to understand that your mind is central to your life. What's also important is that you know you have complete control over your mind. We have to stop saying such things as, I don't know what goes on in there. We have to stop saying such things as, I have no idea what's in my head. No, you do. You just aren't taking the time to work it out yet. If you don't understand your operating system, you won't understand how you live and you won't be able to change how you live. So we have to understand this operating system. What are these triggers? And when there's a trigger, what's the result? Very often we are entirely ignorant of what is in there and what's going on in there. But that doesn't mean we don't have the authority. It just means you're not using the authority God has given you. Now, this operating system is literally burned onto our physical brains, primarily during our childhood, especially in the first seven years when you're neuroplasticity, which is the ability of your brain to change and take shape, uh, your neuroplasticity, up to the age of three, is very pliable and moldable, which means what goes on between naught and three is hugely powerful. Up to the age of seven, it's also hugely powerful, which is why, if you have a little one, between naught and seven, you have to give everything you can to put those little ones in the care of those who you believe are going to do good for them. It's why every single one of my children spent time with Audrey. <laughs> no, it's true, and Heather. It's true. It's true. Because I knew back then that if I could put into them up to seven years old some key truths that they were loved and cared for, that they were special and precious, they would have a basis for the rest of their lives. Honestly. That's why they went to first steps preschool or when BCS had a preschool, and all of them up to at least the age of seven went there. Why? Because for me, and other people think differently, but for, well, psychologically it's true, those seven years, absolutely key. When we needed somebody to look after them, when we started Little Daisies, we were blessed because we had the ability for either Angie or Faye to be a full-time mum. And by the way, we've got to stop doing motherhood a disservice. It is the highest calling on the face of the earth. 
I realise it don't get paid. I realise it's not particularly mentally challenging at times, okay? But it is the highest calling on the face of the earth. And, and I, and I, and I realise it's not possible for everybody, but if it's possible, if you can invest as much as possible in your little ones when they're little, do it. You may be very skint, but trust me, your little one is not bothered about having seven outfits. It's bothered about having you. It's not bothered about whether it's got special Kathkiston wallpaper on the walls. It's bothered about having you. That's what's most important. And we seem to be losing it, and it worries me greatly. And I admire anybody. Who, I realise it's not possible for everybody. I realise that it's okay. But, but, but as much as you are able, I want to encourage you. So, as you were growing up and all through your life, you learned to live life to the best of your ability according to what you saw around you and how life was modelled to you. Even if you knew God and knew of God, there were times when those around you didn't manage to express the heart of God to you. So not everything on your software is aligned to what God said. Which is why Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is where most people don't like the message that we carry, because it involves hard work. He doesn't say be transformed by going to every conference and having some great man of God lay his hands on you. He doesn't say be transformed by reading your Bible every day and spending four hours in prayer. He says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By it being made new. And the first part is to not conform to the pattern of this world. Well, that's what? Well, first of all, I'm not taking responsibility for me because it's everybody else's fault. If only my mum had done this. If only my teacher had been better. If only my boss had been better. If only I got paid more. If only I lived in a better house. Okay, well, it didn't happen. So why not accept the reality of where we are and start taking responsibility for what we've done? Of course, I'm not minimising any of the pain that goes on, but the reality is it's happened. And you can change it. That's the truth. It's happened. And you know that I have compassion for all those things. But right now, I'm telling you, and I'm, again, I'm not minimising any of it because I know it's horrible, it's painful, it's traumatic. But until you start going, I have got responsibility for my mind, you are losing again. You're allowing all those people to keep hurting you. That's the reality. We easily embrace these thoughts like my happiness is everybody else's responsibility, like it's not my fault. Nothing's ever my fault. I can have everything I want and I don't have to work for it because it's so strong in our culture. But the truth is this. We are not driven by our circumstances or by our emotions. We are driven by our thoughts. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. This is what Solomon wrote about two and a half thousand years ago and what every psychologist since has agreed with. This is why I love the Bible. It's so far ahead of its time. And it speaks in today right now. It's wonderful. I love it. What Solomon knew was that our thought life determines everything and that the vast majority of our problems are not to do with external circumstances or our physical brain or our hormones, but to do with our mind. I don't say things, those things don't impact it, but they are not the key. Our issues are very rarely due to chemical imbalances or hormones raging through our bodies, though they offer challenges. But the real answer, the true answer, the biblical answer is to train ourselves so that our thinking is higher than any of those things. You don't have to be a hostage to your emotions. 
You don't have to be a hostage to your hormones. Of course, they may make life more challenging, but you don't have to be a hostage to them. If you manage to develop your thought life above that place. If. This is an incredibly powerful and liberating statement. That as a man thinks in himself, so he is. Because it means, according to the word of God, you are not at the mercy of your circumstances, or your emotions, or your hormones. You are not held hostage to chemicals flooding through your body. You are not held hostage to what has gone on in the past. You are not held hostage to your emotions, or your bank balance, or your house, or whatever relationship you are, or are not in. You are only held hostage to your thoughts. That's the reality. And the beautiful thing is, they can be changed. That's the beautiful thing. Often you can't change any of those other things, so you were just held hostage to them, but these things, they can be changed. So according to the word of God, your thinking controls everything else. Um, sometimes our thought life simply directs our will in a certain direction. We have a thought that we are hungry, so we choose to eat. So we have a thought, oh, I'm hungry, I make a decision to eat, and then I eat. Sometimes it does that. Other times, though, our emotions influence us. So let's say, so last night, Faye uh, slept out to help somebody out. I'm in, and I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm working on tomorrow night. I watched a film with the boys, and I worked on tomorrow, tonight. And, and it'd be very easy in that moment to go, oh, just on my own, it'd be really nice. I, I know I need something to make me feel a bit better. Where's that chocolate? So I don't, I don't just feel hungry, I feel a bit, oh, I'm a, I miss Faye, I like it when she's here, I don't like her being not here, and Josh is out at a party, and I'm thinking about him, is he all right, and he's a little way away, and he's, I'm thinking about him. So then my emotions, and I go, cause me to do something. I'm just taking some trivial examples to make it clear, okay. Chocolate, crisps, sweets, wine, whatever it is. Your emotions take a dive. I know I'll feel better, so I'll put a lot of rubbish inside my body. We do some weird things, don't we? I mean, we do do some weird things. Why is it that everything nice is not good for you? <laughs> Pretty much. So annoying. If only I could like carrots like I like cocoa. Anyways. Whether it's your emotions or your will, it all starts before that. It all starts with a thought. You don't do anything without first thinking about it. We cannot directly control our feelings, but we can control what we think. That's why the mind is the control center of all our activities. So if we are not thinking right, and by, by right, I mean thinking in line with the revealed truth of God and what he says about you, if we are not thinking right, it will show up in your emotions. But it starts with your thoughts. That's the reality. Most, most issues with our feelings are really to do with our thoughts. And nearly all of them are really to be dealt with in our thinking. Now, sometimes we need some help of some chemicals to help us get us into place to be able to think. Sometimes we need that. But in the short term, sometimes we get so consumed with our feelings, our negative thoughts, we need something to lift us out of that drudgery to help us to think. That's okay. I've, I've told people before to go and get some pills. 
because they needed something to just help them think clearly. But I didn't tell them to stay on those pills, just to help them think, so then they could be able to process it and work it out and have some clarity. And then their thinking can bring them down. You see that it's all helpful. So, I want to show you this from the Word of God, from the wonderful book of Lamentations. This is Jeremiah, who's a little bit upset. I am the one who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. Oh, this is a good pity pie. Can you feel the pity pie going on? Oh. He has walled me in so that I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts down my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my past crooked like a bear lying in wait, like a lion hiding. He dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. So good. See, this is what it means to journal. No, really, this is, this is him journaling. This is him going, I'm going to tell you how I feel, God. So I say my strength is God and so is my hope from the Lord. I mean, he's a bit down, isn't he? <laughs> he's not having the best day. It's not going too well for him. But if that, of course, was a true portrayal of God, then you would be depressed with him. But of course, what he believed about God wasn't true. Did God make him walk in darkness? Was God a bear lying in wait for him? Is that what God does? Does God drag you from the path? Is he like a bear lying in wait to maul you? Of course he's not. Of course he's not. Jeremiah wasn't thinking right, which meant he wasn't feeling right. Then we see Jeremiah starts to sing a different tune. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Did anything external change for Jeremiah? Did he text anybody? <laughs> Did he send a Facebook message out asking people to get down on their knees and pray for him? He did one thing. I call to mind. I call to mind. He took responsibility for his bow, his own thoughts, and he called the truth to mind. Now listen, it's great we've got people to ask for help. It's great, we've got, I'm, not, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying that's not what brought him through. I can pray all I want for you, but unless you were gonna go I call to mind, my prayers are pretty much in vain. 
I can pray for strength. I can pray for faith. I can pray all that stuff in mind. But unless you are going to choose to call to mind with your own mind, there is very little my prayers can do. That's the reality. I can strengthen you. I can pray for faith. I can, you can know that I'm with you, which may be enough to just kind of get you over the line. But you have to call to mind. He took some steps. He took the authority which he had been given over his own mind and over his own thoughts, and he used that authority to bring himself to a better place. And you can do that because those thoughts that are coming against you are not all tooled up with an angry attack dog. They have been what? Disarmed. And you are wearing what? A whole big riot gear. That's why you can do it. They appear big. They like... They like appear through a magnifying glass, like a hundred times bigger. The reality is this thought is a small, tiny, little thing. And you were a big, riot, gear-empowered... Oh, oh, I watched this film last night. It's the first Captain America film. It's great. And there's this teeny little guy. There's this teeny little guy, like, really teeny and, like, he's, like... And then he gets in this machine. And he gets his serum put in, and he comes out looking like me. I don't understand why you're laughing. He had this massive six power like, oh, it looks like me now, that's it. It's brilliant. I was like, I need to show that clip. It's like, and he goes, oh, and he goes, I can't take any more. And he goes, no, I can. And then he comes out looking like me. But that, that's maybe what you have to understand, that when, when you said yes to Jesus, it's like you went in that machine and got this serum called the Holy Spirit put in you, and you came out looking like Chris Evans in that thing. Not the radio DJ, the other one. <laughs> so I'm like, is that Chris Evans? I'm like, no, that's no, no, he's, he's not like that. Anyways. That's why I had to do last week before this week. He says he has to call to mind. One version says, this I recall. I choose to remember. I choose to ponder on. I choose to think about. I choose to remind myself of what I know to be true. Which, of course, truth is what this says about you. We're nearly done. Oh, it's done it. It's just not telling me it's done it. You are not shaped as much by your environment as you are by your perception of your environment. In other words, it's not what goes on around you. It's not even how you feel about what goes on around you. It's what you think about what goes on around you. That's why you can come here this morning and all go away with a completely different report of what happened. Because it's not the environment. It's how you perceived that environment. Our thought life determines our emotions. And for many of us, our emotions are a key player in what we choose to do and therefore our behaviour. But if what we think does not reflect truth, then what we feel does not reflect reality. Let me show you what I mean by this. If, if what we think does not reflect truth, then what we feel does not reflect reality. Let's say that suddenly I see some of my friends kind of talking together and every time I turn up, they all kind of go quiet, and they shut you down. And let's say I see this happening, and, let, and then I find out there's a group chat going on, but I'm not in it. Well, suddenly I might, oh, heck, what have I done there? They're excluding me from this thing. I can feel hurt, rejected, left out, disappointed. 
Then you go somewhere one night and realize they've been planning a surprise birthday party for you. You see, when I felt hurt and rejected and disappointed because I wasn't included, I did not, what I thought did not reflect the truth. Therefore, what I felt did not reflect reality. The truth is, I was incredibly loved. And all those people were thinking about me, wanting to bless me and look after me. Don't plan a surprise party, I hate surprise parties. <laughs> but, in fact, I generally hate most surprises. But there we go. So, but what I think about their actions determines my emotions. So what you, if what you think does not reflect truth, then what we feel does not reflect reality. Now take that into what you believe about yourself. If you think that you are unlovable, that does not reflect truth. Therefore, what you feel about that fact does not reflect reality. And when I say reality, I mean the reality in Jesus, the truth of what he's done. So, let's finish here. You've got your emotions, you've got your will, you've got your behaviour, but before all that, you've got this beautiful thing called your mind, which you are in charge of. You are in charge of it. You may have allowed somebody else to hijack it, but you are in charge of it, and you can take back charge of every single part of it. But before you can change your thinking, you have to accept the fact that you have been given authority over it, and that you are going to take responsibility for it. Which, of course, lots of people don't want to do. Because if you have to take responsibility for the good stuff, you also have to take responsibility for the bad stuff. But that's okay, because Jesus loves you. And he's got you. And once you take responsibility for it, you can start changing it. God has given us all the principles, all the right programs, and the software that you need to live a victorious, fun, free, and enjoyable life. He's also given us authority over our own minds so we can reprogram them with his programs. And I'm going to talk about more about how we do that in the coming weeks. But what he will not do is reprogram it for you. He's already given you a new heart. He's put his Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That's what happened when you said yes to Jesus. But now you have to renew your mind. And again, whatever it is that you are fighting, it's all winnable. I want you to know it's winnable. Everything's winnable. Every challenge is absolutely winnable. But you have to kind of come to know that. Can I climb this mountain? You have to answer that question. Can you climb the mountain that's in front of you? Okay, nobody can climb that. Can you climb it? Is it possible? Say it in faith. Even if you don't think it, you see, you going, yes, starts your journey of believing you can do it. And then the only way to find out is to start walking up it. That's what you do. You start walking up it. Okay, well, we're going to find out then. You can stand at the bottom and say no all you want. Well, you'll stay at the bottom, won't you? In my broadest Yorkshire. <laughs> or you can start walking. Of course, that takes faith. It takes belief. It's difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. Yeah, but you know all about that. Because earlier on this morning, you just looked back and saw what you've already done. <laughs> now I understand why we had to do the conga. Because you've, that's why you can do it. You can go, well, I've already done all this. I look now and I go, flipping egg. I can do pretty much all. Look at what I've already done. Look at what God's already done. 
Look how he's already changed me and transformed me. Look what he's redeemed. Look what he's restored. Look what I've managed to do with him and everybody else around me. What is there that I cannot do? See, we've got to get that. What, what is there that you cannot do? Just get, high, get a big black pen and just go. There's nothing you can't do, is there? Is there anything that God cannot do with you? Is there? Okay. There we go then. There we go. But it starts here. And it actually starts with that thought. Because some of us have a big list of things that we can't do. Or that God can't do. Well, they need ripping up. They need just deleting and wiping away. Because you can do it and you will do it. Because that's, that's the heart of God for you. I don't say it'll be easy. But I say you can do it. All of you can do it. Good. You see? Those of you who shout loudest are the ones who will find it easiest. That's the reality. That's the reality. There you go, you see. There you go. At the conference about three years ago. Was it three years ago we had the conference? I was sat, I was sat worshipping Jesus. And I looked down. And I had a short sleeve shirt on and I saw my arms. And it was like a vision God gave me and I saw his names running through my veins. It was the most beautiful thing ever. I saw King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Lion of Judah. I saw the great I am like running like through my veins. But if it's true for me, it's true for you. No, it's really, it's true. It's true. Like the blood of Jesus runs through your veins. It does, honestly. I know, I know, I know. If you took a blood test, you wouldn't find it. But the truth is, if you took a spiritual blood test, it'd say Jesus is in you. His DNA is everywhere. Okay, let's stand together. Did you want to say something? Oh. Is now a good time, son? Great. Uh, I just wanted to say how much of a brilliant word that was. I think it's very easy to take it for granted sometimes, the blessing that we've got, not just from Adam, but of everyone who teaches here. That, if that was like a new album that was out in the charts, every single track would have been a number one. It was absolutely brilliant. There was just so much truth in that. Um, when it comes to choices, which I guess was the key part of that teaching. I know a lot of the time, personally, I make stupid choices. A lot of the time, I might have something to say, and I won't get off my bum and say it. That's a choice I have to make. Um, and choices, like Adam said, they're so key. He's given us everything. Mm -hmm. The differentiation that we get in the teaching here, for one, I don't think we'll always think about, but sometimes it's visual. Sometimes it'll be a picture. Sometimes, and like, for me, I'm quite a tech person, so I'm talking about operating systems. That appeals to me. I think sometimes these switch off and not even, again, I guess, take for granted the differentiation, the way that we get taught here is an absolute blessing. Yeah. I was thinking earlier during the song we were singing, You Are Good To Me. That's completely true, yeah. but we're not good to ourselves. I think a lot of the time, a lot of our issues, well, most of our issues come from our choices. 
we have a choice to think good about ourselves, think bad about ourselves, but the God part, you were good to me, that doesn't change. Yesterday, today, forever, that's the same. Yeah. It's about taking the choices and going forward. So it's easy to just walk away from, oh, it was a nice meeting today. It was a good word, Adam said, feel good for a few hours, and then not do anything about it. And, but the thing what I've said about today, about the teacher being brilliant, that could be the same every single week. Choices are absolutely vital. Mm -hmm. We make stupid ones, but that's just part of being human. doesn't mean God thinks anything different about us. But we're so blessed with everything God's done for us. Like Adam said, I could look around, I could do the same, and think how people have been transformed by God. I know things he's done in my life. Um, Yeah, it's easy to look backwards, and sometimes we look back and... There's a lot of pain, or... We feel bad about ourselves, but... (laughs) The journey that we've gone on is part of who we are. And we can look to the future with positivity because the things that God's done for us in the past... Special, I want to thank Adam. He's been a big part of transforming my life. When we say that God's transformed us, he does that through people as well. So I guess, yeah, it's it's very easy to take for granted what we've got here. But that was a brilliant word. And like that verse in Proverbs was spot on. What we think about ourselves often is what we are. So, yeah, choices are vital. I said a few weeks ago, it takes a community to raise a child. And that's the truth for all of us. It's never about just one person, it's always about a community. It's about a family. It's about togetherness. But thank you, Nath. Let's just take a moment, just just for your own self, just take a moment to look back and thank God for anybody that has looked after you, blessed you, just you and God. Any breakthroughs you can remember, any good things, just take a moment to thank him in the quietness of your heart. It's really important. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, we do want to say thank you, Father, for the journey so far. We thank you for every way in which you were in it and with us, Father, which was at every moment, Lord. We thank you for every way in which you have taken care of us, Father. We thank you for everybody you sent into our path that did us good, Lord. Whether it was for a decade or longer or whether it was for just one moment, Lord, we want to say thank you that you are good to us, Lord. We want to say thank you, Jesus. And Father, as we look towards the future, Lord, as we look towards the future, Father, we thank you for 
for where we've come, Lord. We thank you for where we are right now in this journey. And we thank you, Lord, that whatever it is in front of us, we can climb it, Jesus. I want to thank you that it's winnable, it's beatable, it's restorable, it's redeemable. I want to thank you, Father, that every single thing in front of us, Lord, you have already got an answer and a solution, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, for courage in our hearts, Lord, to make those right choices, Father. Faith and courage, Father. I just want to release faith and courage in our hearts, Lord, to make those right choices, Father. I know some of them are really difficult, but Lord, I thank you that you have already given us what we need, Father. And I want to thank you, Father, for what we'll see when we make those choices, Lord, because I know that we will see breakthrough, Lord. I know that breakthrough is coming in all sorts of ways, Father. I've seen it in, in Faye and I's life so far this past year, but I just I sense it's a season for breakthrough, but we've got to make some right choices. Every breakthrough Faye and I have had, it's because we followed some instruction, or we went in faith, or we believed against our odds, but every time God brought breakthrough. And I want to thank you right now, Father, for breakthroughs, Lord. As we make the choices, Lord, to move in faith, to move in line with your word, Lord, I thank you that breakthrough is there for every single one of us in Jesus' name.